Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we will begin to read with verse number 5. And we are talking about spiritual authority. That's what we've been studying beginning last week. Defining spiritual authority as the right to act, a legal reality. And the other side of that coin is power, the ability to act. It's an experiential reality. In the New Testament, which was written in Greek, of course, there is a word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, and it's translated sometimes power in the King James, sometimes authority, but the proper translation is authority. And then the uh, word power, there are several, actually, several Greek words translated power. <coughs> Excuse me, the most common one that we would be familiar with is the word dunamis, and of course that's where we get the English word dynamite from. So that gives you a good picture of what that word is about. We used it as an example last week, a policeman. A policeman down here at the next intersection, the next red light down here at Concord, for instance, if you're going that way today and there's a, there's a uniformed police officer standing there in the middle of the intersection with his hand up, what are you going to do? You're going to stop. You're going to stop. Now, does he have the physical power to stop your car? No. But he has the authority to stop your car. And so therefore you respond to that authority. Authority can cause things to happen. Authority can stop things from happening. That's very important for us to understand. And you can begin to see as you study this how important this is for our faith life and how important this is to our prayer life. It's important to understand about prayer that we pray from a place of authority. We pray from a place of victory, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I'm getting ahead of myself, but anyway, we'll get there sooner or later. This subject continues to grow as we study it. I don't know how many Sundays we'll be on it. If you're after a 15-minute pep talk and two dried-up songs and go home, then this is not the right place to be, of course. But uh, we really do want to study this because we have authority. You as a believer have authority in Christ Jesus. Amen. In Matthew, the 8th chapter, and these, this scripture we looked at last week, we're going to look at it again today, beginning in verse number 5, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, that's a Roman officer in charge of a hundred men, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Now, notice two things Jesus offered. He said, I will come. In other words, I will come where that servant is. And then he said, I will heal him. And so the will of God is established here. From this point on, the centurion had a certainty that his servant would be healed. And so once he found out the will of God with certainty, then the centurion responded by actually giving Jesus an option of how to do it. We don't often think of us telling God how to do anything because after all, He is God and He knows He's God and He knows we aren't. But it is truly amazing how faith and authority and position in Christ puts us in a place to cooperate and work with God. A lot of people live most of their lives, and especially most of their Christian life, thinking the Doris Day Doctrine. Anybody here old enough to remember 
Doris Day. If you're under 30, you may not have a clue who I'm talking about. Anyway, she was an old-time movie star and a great peddler of Chevrolet cars many years ago. And anyway, uh, she used to sing a song. I think it's probably about the only hit she ever really had. But she would sing this song, Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours. You know who I'm talking about. Que sera, sera. Well, I call it the Doris Day Doctrine when Christians live their life thinking whatever will be, will be. And it's all up to God. And I really don't have anything to do with it. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm like a puppet on a string. I've, I've heard preachers use that kind of terminology and uh, refer to the devil as kind of being on a leash. And God's going around with the devil on a leash. And you know, if, if he just decides he wants to, well, he just may let the devil come and take a chunk out of you. He may let him do this. He may let him do that. How many of you know that that's not biblical? Why is there a devil? Well, we learned that last week. So I'd encourage you, you really do need to hear what came last week because then today will make a whole lot more sense to you. But uh, the devil's here because Adam gave him the right to be here. When the devil came in the garden with temptation, Adam could have said no, but he said yes. And in doing so, he committed high treason, if you will. He sold us all out. Amen. You know, sometimes people say, well, where would we be if it weren't for women? And, of course, the answer is in the Garden of Eden. And I've, I've made that little smart remark a number of times, but the truth is Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Paul tells us this when he wrote to Timothy. And what that means is Adam, with his eyes wide open, stepped into the world of darkness, which tells me he must have really loved Eve she must have really been beautiful. I'm sure she was. You know, God took a rib out of Adam and made this woman. And I'm sure he didn't make any ugly woman. Come on, say amen. But anyway, for whatever reason, Adam said yes. And in doing so, he gave his authority over to the devil. And until that lease, if you will, is up... And we pointed out a scripture, you remember last week, where one of the demons said to Jesus, are you going to torment us before the time? See, the whole kingdom of darkness understands that this earth situation is not forever here. That's one reason we're not worried about running out of oil, running out of coal, running out of copper, running out of silver, running out of gold, running out of air, running out of water, running out of trees. Because we know this world is going to pass away. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us it will pass away with, with fervent heat. So glo global warming is coming. <laughs> and you paying more taxes is not going to keep it from coming. And if you think that it would, we need to talk after church. You need help. But anyway, the truth is... This is a temporary situation. And Adam messed it up. And so 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the devil is the God. That's a little g, by the way. 
or Lord or ruler of this world system. You've got to understand, that's the position Adam used to have. And we talked from uh, uh, Luke 4 about Jesus in the time of his temptation and how that one of the temptations was from the devil that he said, come. He told the devil, he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He showed them to Jesus in a moment of time. And, of course, the Bible says this was a temptation. So, evidently, the devil was able to give these kingdoms to whomsoever he would. And all you have to do is just think about history to know that people like Joseph Stalin, people like Adolf Hitler, people like a Saddam Hussein, people like Mao Zedong, and others uh, who uh, are blights on humanity throughout the past to realize the devil helped get them where they were. Now, when's all this going to get fixed? When Jesus comes back. And guess what? I'm just, it's not my message really today, but I just thought I'll throw this out because it's really nice. It's very neat because we're going to rule and reign with him. Can you imagine you in a place of power and authority in running things on the earth? I think I'd like to be the governor of Virginia. I think that'd be great. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Speed limit 95 everywhere, all over. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just want you to understand that our situation is temporary. However, it's going to be like this until we either go to be with the Lord or he comes back to get us. And so in this interim or the meantime, how do we deal with the devil? How do you really live with the devil under your feet? How do you live in a fallen world, a sin-cursed world, with victory and the blessing of God upon your life? And I just want to tell you, if you don't know about your authority, you really won't live in the fullness of that blessing. And you will never walk in the degree of faith that you need to fully please God, and to fully receive all he has for you unless you understand something about authority. And that's what our passage here in Matthew 8 is talking about. Here we're going to see in just a moment. Now remember, Jesus has said what his will is and what he's willing to do. Then the centurion answered and said, verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but, read those next four words with me, speak the word only. Let's say it again. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. In other words, he's saying, well, that's very kind of you, Jesus. I'm glad you're willing to come. But since it's your will to heal him, you don't need to come. You can speak, and it'll happen. And how did he know that? Verse 9, for I am a man under authority. In other words, I'm... Uh, I have people who tell me what to do. He's not, he's not the, the head of the Roman army. He's certainly not Caesar. So he understands being under authority. And he goes on to say, having soldiers under me, under me. So he's saying, I'm in the middle somewhere. I take orders and I also give orders. He says, and I say to this man, go and he goeth, and to another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this and he doeth it. And it says, and when, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Now, there's only two places in the Bible Jesus 
it is ever recorded that he marveled while he was here on earth. One was at the unbelief of the people of Nazareth. The other is here at the faith of this Roman soldier. You know, you would think, just thinking religiously, that he would find great faith in the synagogue and that he would find great doubt and unbelief among the Roman occupiers of Palestine. But that's not what happened at all. He found faith in the Roman soldier and he found religion and dead religion and unbelief in so many of the Jewish people of that day. So when Jesus heard this man make this statement, we might use it in a more uh, modern term. Actually, this is probably still not modern. I'm, I'm dating myself here too. But, but it's kind of like it made his day. I mean, for this man to tell Jesus how to do his business didn't make Jesus mad at all. As a matter of fact, if you read through the four Gospels time and time again, people, through the decisions they made and the way they conducted themselves, they determined the miracle they received and how they received it and when they received it. Still further evidence that it's not all up to God. I know God is God, as I said before, and I know I'm not. And I know that, that I can only believe Him where His will has been revealed. For faith begins where the will of God is known. I understand that. But once I do know His will, which, by the way, is what this book is about. His Word is His will. Quit thinking that His Word says one thing, but we don't know if He'll really do that or not because He might have changed His mind. No, He never changes His mind. If He didn't mean it, He wouldn't have said it. God doesn't lie. And there's no promise He ever makes that He breaks. And so uh, uh, this man determined how Jesus was going to do this when he said, uh, you know, that you just speak the word only. And then he explained why he made that statement. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily or truly I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So this, this is authority understood, and this is authority exercised. So I hope that you can see through, through listening to these last few minutes how uh, that, imp that authority is extremely important to you receiving from God. It's very, very important for your prayer life to work. It's very important for your faith life to work. I use the illustration of the policeman down here in the highway stopping traffic. The reason you stop is because he's authorized. If I go out there today in flip-flops and a pair of shorts and hold my hand up, people are going to think, there's a retarded guy there. You know, I know that's a bad word. There's a guy that doesn't have whatever on the ball. You know, what's wrong with him? They might actually say, we should call the police. Because he's definitely not a policeman. Well, you see, it's all about who has authorized you. It's all about who has authorized you. In Matthew chapter 10, just turn over a couple of pages, and verse 40, 1040, this would be a good, good uh, scripture to use somewhere around the middle of April, wouldn't it? 1040, it says, He that receiveth you, some of you get it on your way home, He that receiveth you receiveth me, 
And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Let me read that again. He that receiveth you receiveth me. Now these, he's saying this to his disciples. And he that receiveth me, because they receive them, you see, receiveth him that sent me. There are three layers of authority here. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and his disciples. And of course what this is a picture of is the delegation of authority. And delegation is always in the measure of the one who does the delegating. Delegated authority goes no further than the delegator, if that's a word. So if you are not authorized or if it has not been delegated to you a certain, certain realm of authority, then you don't have it. So there are rooms that I can't get into because I'm not authorized. There are gates that will not open for me because I'm not authorized to go through that gate. And so what we need to understand is God is the delegator. And what we want to find out is what have we been authorized to do? What can I do? What can I have? Where can I go? How far does this go for me? Now, we established last week from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, that Jesus gave the church authority to do the Great Commission. Let's go. You're in Matthew 10, hopefully by now. Let's go on to 28. Matthew chapter 28, and look at this again. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse number 18. This is what we call the Great Commission or the great commissioning of the church by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is when he authorized us. And, and please understand that this was the authorization 40 days, uh, 40 days later, or no, 10 days later, because he's getting ready to go. 10 days later, they would be empowered. So this is the exousia day, the authority day. The day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, is the dunamis day. So they got the authorization and then they got the power. You see, God is very smart. You don't give power to those who aren't authorized. You don't give the keys of, to your car to an eight-year-old. You know, one time I was, Glenna, how old were you when you took your dad? She was about eight years old and she got in her car. And how she did this, I don't know, because her dad had a Volkswagen Beetle you know, with four speed on the floor and a clutch. She got that thing started and going and drove down the roadways. <laughs> she wasn't authorized. You just have to know her dad to know that he was not a happy camper. So you see, you don't give the keys to your car to an eight-year-old. You don't, you don't ask, uh, you know, you don't ask a 10-year-old, would you please wire up this uh, light switch for me? No, you don't do that. We, we authorize based on a certain set of criteria. Well, what you've got to understand is that when Jesus said in verse number 18, beginning, we'll read, start reading with verse 18, and we'll get into the words of Jesus and read through verse 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, that word is exousia, all authority, 
is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. In other words, there's no break in the statement. I mean, you know, I know we have verse designations in the King James Bible and almost all Bibles we read now, of course. But they weren't in the original. Jesus was talking. And he didn't stop. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. In other words, I have power. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving to you the power of attorney. You're going to go and you're going to use my name. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or the age. Amen. So we see that the, um, the uh, authorization by Jesus is given to us. Now I said a while ago that we give, we delegate authority or we authorize based on a set of criteria. And most of the time it's based on certain rights, privileges, connections, and abilities that people might have. So what I want you to see right now is Jesus has a whole lot more confidence in us than probably we have in ourselves. He gave us his ministry. Now just think about it. Think about the four Gospels. Think about all the dumb stuff that the disciples said. I mean, it got so bad one time, Jesus told Peter, said, Get behind me, Satan. And yet here, he says to this same outfit, You take over. I'm leaving. You see, the thing that Jesus knew was that his word is forever. And he also knew that in just a matter of days, the Holy Ghost was coming. And things are going to be so different when the Holy Spirit comes. Aren't you glad of that? How many of you remember when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost? I mean, I was saved for several years, and then I got filled with the Holy Ghost in a Pentecostal church. And I began to speak with other tongues just like they did in the Bible. My life's never been the same. Apologize for being Pentecostal? Are you kidding? Put it in the back room somewhere and hide it out and not tell anybody? Are you kidding? That's not going to happen. Because the power and presence of the Holy Spirit will change everything about your life. It'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife. It'll make you a better parent. It'll make you a better business person, a better worker, a better everything. Hallelujah. So, the empowerment, I mean the authorization came on this day. Then the empowerment came on the day of Pentecost. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So all of these truths we've been talking about um, obviously were percolating in the mind of the Apostle Paul as the Lord called him and gave him all the revelation that he did, you know, writing so much of the New Testament and, and uh, all of the great things that he shared with the church and all the way even unto this day. And so you've got to understand that there were some things that he thought were important, but more than that, there were things that the Holy Spirit knew was, was very important for us to understand and to know. 
And so we find over here in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, in verse number 15, where he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. These were people who were spirit-filled. You can read about the founding of the Ephesian church in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. And, and they, they were a spirit-filled church. They spoke with tongues and prophesied all these things. They were no stranger to the supernatural. And so when he's praying that God would grant to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, he was not praying that they would get the initial experience of being filled with the Spirit, but he was talking to Spirit-filled people that there was something that the Holy Spirit they had could do for them, just like he can do for us. And, and he said he, he, that he wants to be in you, the Holy Spirit needs to be in you, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You see, it's not enough just to quote some scriptures. It's not enough to just know a few Bible phrases and Bible words. But what really changes your life is that which you have a revelation of. Revelation means something revealed. Now, I know that there are those in the body of Christ who have a real issue with this. And they, they take great issue with some of these kinds of things because they basically have the idea that there is no further revelation. And I, I don't know why that they think that we're saying that there's something that's beyond the Bible that, is, that supersedes the Bible. I've never been in a church. I've never, none of the mentors I've ever sat under, no of the, none of the ministers that I've ever had any confidence in have ever taught or said that the scriptures aren't supreme authority. As a matter of fact, if any minister tells you that the Bible is subject to some other revelation, you better run from that person. Paul himself even testified that even when things come forth through gifts of the Spirit, like tongues with interpretation or, the, or prophecy, that those things are to be judged. So it's, you know, those are the safety bars that God puts around these things. However, what we need to understand about this scripture is that you can take the words that you see in your Bible, if you're, if you're looking at the print, just look at it for a minute, any of those verses, and uh, I can, I'm looking at a paper Bible, uh, print and, you know, ink and paper. And what he's saying is the word is more than that. You need to have revealed to you what this actually is saying. It's got to become so real to you that nobody can take it away from you. Because there is somebody who wants to take away the word from you. Jesus said it's one of the key parables of all his teaching in the four gospels was the parable of the sower. And one of the first things that happened after the seed was sown is the enemy comes to steal the word. So you can hear good things. You can hear encouraging words in a church service or through a recording or you can read a, a great book and it'll give you some great information. And one of the first things that'll always happen is the devil will try to come and take that from you. He'll try to tell you why it's not for you. So that's why it's important that there is a work of the Holy Spirit inside you that you see. Because something that is revealed means something that can be seen. Can you say amen? 
And so, you know, like for instance, you down there cannot see what's up here behind this wall. And it's because of all the junk that's behind the wall that the wall is there. We don't want you to see it. But if we remove the wall, that would be a revelation. And you would see a lot of stuff. (laughs) Most of it necessary. Thank God for a new building with plenty of room. Somewhere to hide the stuff. But anyway, revelation is important. I remember, and I've told this story so many, many times, so I'm going to try to make it very quick, but I like my stories. That's why I keep telling them. But I remember reading in Ephesians 2 one day where it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And as I read that, just a part of my reading that day, the spirit of wisdom and revelation showed me. My job, and see, we were in the process of trying to get to this place. We were in a temporary location, a storefront location. It was too small. We didn't have enough room. All kinds of negatives about it. And we knew it was temporary. But what I knew, too, was that I really didn't know how that this could happen. You know, this year we celebrated the fact that the ministry is totally out of debt. Everything's paid for. But at that time, we were just trying to, you know, we were trying to get into this. And, and I didn't know how it was all going to happen. I didn't know how it was all going to come together. But the Lord let me know that day, that scripture, according to the power that worketh in us. And he let me know my job was to keep the power working in me. His job was to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I can't do his part. He won't do my part. But if I'll do my part, he sure will do his part. And he did. He has. And that same principle works in any area. Whether you're believing for healing, you're believing for a family renewal situation, a social situation, financial situation, whatever it might be. And so we need this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him to see three things he prayed. Number one, verse 18, that we would um, see the, inherit, the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Number two, that we might see the exceeding... I'm sorry, uh, that you might know, first of all, the hope of his calling. That's the first one, sorry. And then the exceeding riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And number three, and this is the one we're interested in today, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, if you take a concordance or you take a, a, uh, the right kind of a Bible app, you will find in verse 19 are several words for power. The whole idea here is that God wants us to understand something about his power and might that raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 20, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him, set Jesus at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice verse 21, far above all principality, that's the the highest levels of demonic power, principalities. A demonic ruler over a 
place, a territory over all principality and power, powers that would be another level under that of demonic activity, and might and dominion. Notice the word dominion. Dominion has to do with authority. That's an authority word. There is the dominion of God, the kingdom of God. There is the dominion of Satan and the satanic kingdom right now. And by the way, the, the kingdom of God is a true kingdom. We in America have sometimes difficulty grasping kingdom truths because we're used to democracy. We're used to uh, a republic, uh, you know, where we vote and all those things and everything is taken through committees and votes and hearings and all of that mess. Uh, the kingdom of God is not like that. And I don't know how you feel, but I am so glad. Nobody filibusters God. Nobody vetoes God. He is God. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's the most futile and foolish thing in the world to try to rebel against Him. Why would anybody in their right mind say no to, the, to, to one who has all power and who knows all things? Why would anybody in their right mind Say no to a God who loves us so much that the second person of this Godhead became flesh to come and die in our stead. We pointed out last week in Luke 4, when Jesus defeated the devil, in that case, he defeated the devil for himself so he could function. You notice his ministry didn't start until after this was over. He was baptized in water, a public acknowledgement of his submission to God. He was anointed by the Holy Ghost, an essential part of his ministry, because he didn't come as God only, but he came as the God-man, and he emptied himself. You can find that in Philippians chapter 2. And became a man, and so therefore it was necessary that he be anointed to do his works. He ministered on the basis of all the covenant promises that God had already made. He fulfilled perfectly the law. And, and he showed us an example of what spirit-filled, because he was spirit-filled prior to Pentecost. He was. He showed us exactly what that looks like as an example for what our church ministry should look like today. And each of us are a part of that. We all have a part to play. Does that make sense? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so it was necessary that he do exactly what we have to do, that he had to defeat the devil and all human temptation before he could fully and effectively function as a minister. You see, sometimes people never reach their potential because they never deal with the devil properly. And the devil that harasses them, and sometimes it goes on for years. It comes and it goes with greater and lesser intensity and it ebbs and flows. But sometimes people, they never fully get into the fullness of what God has for them because they never fully slay the dragon, if you will. They never fully deal with the demon, the besetting sin, the spirit or spirits that try to harass them and keep them from the purposes of God. And I... I I don't know who needs to hear that the most today, but I can tell you it's very important. 
If you're playing around with anything of sin, anything demonic, if you're allowing the devil to lead you on, you need to understand his whole purpose is to steal everything, to kill you, and to destroy your life. You can't compromise with him. You can't play games with him. He's not calling truces. It's constant war against you. And if you don't know your authority... If you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know anything about your spiritual authority and your authority over the devil, then you're going to be a slave. And if you're a slave to drugs, if you're a slave to alcohol, if you're a slave to pornography, if you're a slave to adultery, fornication, if you're a slave to to covetousness and greed and envy and you're serving money and you're serving things, if your whole life is about anything that is not really involved in the kingdom of God, then you're a slave. And it takes authority to be free. You've got to understand the Emancipation Proclamation that is the most important one for all of us was when Jesus set us free from the authority of the devil. No man has to be a slave to the devil. Amen? Hallelujah. So there are various levels of demonic authority. And it says here that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And, notice this, hath put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things. Now, if the verse stopped there, that would be great. But I am so thankful that's not the end of the verse. The head over all things to the what? Who's that? You. That's us. Which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. So you and I are seated with him far above every principality, all power, might, and dominion, and even every name that is named. Not only in this world, but the one to come. And the devil is under our feet. Hallelujah. He is not our boss. He's not our Lord. He's not our God. He's not the one that calls the shots. He's not the one that can tell us what to do. And he cannot keep the promises and blessings of God from us because he has already been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's go to Philippians 2 and we're we're going to wind this thing down. Within the next hour, we will wind this thing down. Verse 5, let this mind, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that neat? You can think like Jesus thinks. That's what he's saying, isn't it? What we're getting ready to read about, you need to think about this like Jesus thinks. Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus is biting his nails today? Do you think he's afraid of anything? Do you think he's worried Do you think he's really concerned about interest rates, inflation rates? No. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him. Notice this is a choice. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, or because, uh, you know, because of what we've just said, in other words, let me say this. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we've already found out he gave that name to us. We are signing his checks. We are making withdrawals on the account that he established that is infinite in its scope and in its, its resources and never goes dry, never goes to zero. Given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Sounds a whole lot like Ephesians 1, doesn't it? This is something evidently he really wants us to see. And in this passage, he says, I want you to think about this the same way Jesus does. So Jesus never looks up to the devil. He never stands in awe of the devil. He never magnifies the devil. He's never afraid of the devil. He understands the devil has been defeated because, you see, the first defeat of the devil was Jesus' own personal defeat in the wilderness in Luke 4. The second defeat of the devil was when Jesus went to the cross, what we're reading about right here. And God has now exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the victory Jesus won for us at the cross. So it's no wonder in Acts 3 and verse 6 that Peter told the lame man at the gate, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter understood that the victory that Jesus got is now my victory. I didn't have to fast 40 days and 40 nights. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. I didn't have to go into the wilderness. I didn't have to deal with all that he dealt with. He did it for me. And his victory is my victory. And so the third area of the defeat of the devil is up to you. The third area is what you're going to do with your authority, what you're going to do with the name of Jesus, what you're going to do with the sword of the Spirit. Brother Kevin was talking about Wednesday, the Word of God. What, you're going to do, what you do with your authority is going to determine how defeated the devil is in your life, in your house, in your business, in your body, in your mind, in the world that you live in. Hallelujah. This is, this is not something you can be passive about. This is not something that you can say, well, it's already done, so I don't have to bother. No, you, you're going to have to exercise authority like we talked earlier, the devil is out there and about, and he's going to be about while we're here, so we're going to have to put him in his place and keep him there. Amen. Whenever, guys, y'all can come on up if you want. Whenever that, uh, uh, many years ago in World War II, whenever that uh, the Allies invaded Normandy and went through France all the way into German to Ber- Germany into Berlin and all of that and defeated uh, Hitler and his, his folks, Immediately after that, 
the armies, the Allied armies, didn't leave. The war was over. The fighting was over for the most part. But they stayed to occupy. And they occupied and occupied and occupied. And, and guess what? Sixty-some years later, we still have troops in Germany. Not necessarily doing the same exact things that they would have been doing in 1948 and 49 and 50 in that era. But there's a presence there. And so what I'm telling you is this. You need to learn to assume your place as an occupier of the covenants of God. To occupy your place seated, as we just read about, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I don't think anybody seated in Christ's throne has anything to worry about. I don't think we have anything to be afraid of. I don't think we have anything to dread. But this is true in its manifestation only when you know it and act on it. Now, as I said earlier, we, we can't finish this today. We've got, uh, we've got a, a good bit more stuff that we need to bring in, things we didn't get to talk about today. But I want you to understand your place in Christ. You don't have to be afraid. How did Jesus defeat the devil? We've, I've referenced Luke 4 a number of times already, but how did he defeat the devil? Every time he just brought him scripture. And here's what's neat. Uh, one thing that's very neat about all that is the only scripture Jesus had at that point in time was the Old Testament. It's all powerful, folks. Whether it's Deuteronomy or Philippians. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. If there's one thing the devil doesn't want to hear, is your mouth and your voice speaking the Word of God. Because that is one of the primary ways we exercise authority. That's why the devil will do his best to shut you up, shut you down, get you to... Go into yourself, as we say sometimes, and just sit there and kind of stare off and say nothing because of something you just heard or a report that came to you or whatever it is. That's a trick of the devil. What you need to do is stand up and say, in Jesus' name, it'll not be that way. I'll not have it in my house. It won't be so in Jesus' name. Like Glenna used to say to the kids, ain't nobody going to hell from this house. <laughs> you got to get bold. Let's stand up and praise him for our privileges in Christ. Hallelujah. We can't get done today, so we just have to find a place to stop. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our authority in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that the greater one is living on the inside of us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you don't know Jesus today, every head bowed, eye closed, I want to say to you that this glorious body of Christ, the door is open. Jesus is the door. 
you can come in. I don't know what's bound you. I don't know what holds you in bondage. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what you're dealing with. But whatever it is, the name of Jesus is more powerful. And it's the name of Jesus spoken on, from the lips of people who truly know him that makes the difference. There's an account in the book of Acts of some people that said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I adjure you to come out. Trying to get the demon out of a guy. That one guy tore all their clothes off of him, beat him up, sent him out naked and wounded, the Bible says. You're talking about an embarrassment. But you see, they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. It's not good enough for you to hear about grandma's Jesus, grandpa's Jesus, mom and dad's Jesus. You need to know Jesus for you. So if you don't know him today, and you want to know him, if you're not right with God, then with heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment, if you'll put your hand up, I'd like to pray with you today, anybody, anywhere. If not in the room, online, if you're watching, or whether it's now or at a later time, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that no person under the sound of my voice today would die in their sin and go to hell but that those who today need to repent and need to turn and need to live for you afresh and anew for those that have never known you that they will come to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Now, I want you to lay your hands on your body. And I want to pray for you if you're sick today, if you have pain, if you have any kind of affliction or anything of that nature, I want you to receive healing. You see, I'm not a healer. Jesus is. And though we believe in the laying on of hands and we practice the laying on of hands, that's one way to receive the anointing. But you can receive right now. Just make up your mind that today, the 7th of August, 2022, this is the day I receive and things are going to change because the power of God is greater than your need. So in the name of Jesus, I speak life. Yes. I speak healing, restoration, and renewal into your body. Interesting. Refreshing from the Holy Ghost. Oh, my Drista fully Mengaristaya. I sense the presence of the Lord. He's in this room. Take it. Receive it right now. In the name of